All right, so the, um, sermon, the scripture for the sermon today is um, based from Ephesians 1, 2 through 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we consider this text, as as I was thinking about it, I want you to consider with me in a kind of a little imagination journey of what it might have been like to, to become a Christian in the first century in Ephesus. I don't think we often appreciate just how bad of a scene that would be, just how difficult, how devastating, how challenging, how difficult it would be in every way. What, what am I talking about? Well, let's imagine you're, you're, you're working for one of the guilds and you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a, um, a dye merchant, right? And, and, and yet you've become a Christian. You've given allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, in your allegiance, you've learned there's no other God. In fact, you can never worship anybody else. So, at home, you know what center, in the center of the house is? At the very center of, the, of the, every home in that age were the idols. Mom and dad, grandpa and grandpa, all the kids, and all, every day they put vote offerings, votive offerings, love offerings, food, every day. You can still see this in many parts of the world, this kind of idolatry. And every day they would do that. You became a Christian, you don't do that anymore. What are you, anti-family? How dare you? Don't you know our household gods have provided us for us for generations? And you're going to get up and worship some God we never even heard of? You want to live here anymore? You're under my roof. You can picture this. Well, maybe you can get out of the house. Maybe you can get away from that. But there's no way to get away from the problem. Because when he goes out and he goes to work at the guild, the guild has its own idols. And the guild credits those idols with years of success in, in garment making and dyeing fabrics. And how dare you, young man, how dare you say that there's only one God? Are you despising my God? Are you saying the God that put food on your table, food in your belly is false? Why don't you, take, why don't you walk out of here? I can't believe you would do that. You must be lazy. You're trying to get out of work. All right, maybe get out and just get in the street. Just find some place you can live in the city. But no, that won't work. Because everything about the city is organized. The police, the constable, the army, they all worship the civic God. Because you know what lives in the Ephesus, don't you? You see, a meteorite had fallen from heaven, and they had hammered it and carved it and made it into an idol, and they worshipped it. And it was one of the great seven wonders of the world, right? Our God had come down from heaven, they would say. And they worshipped, and they loved that God so much. They made so much trouble for Paul, they almost killed him. They made so much trouble for Christians, they were persecuted desperately by Demetrius and others. And because the Christians started messing up the business, you see, young people, old people, people were becoming Christians and having crisis with the family, <laughs> crisis at work, and crisis with the government. And, and so in other words, the cost for following Christ in the first century was very, very high and very difficult. 
I, you know, it's funny. Maybe we've come full circle, you know, in some ways, because it seems like it's just as hard now, or it's getting that hard to, to walk with faith in our time. And I wonder what's ahead. You know, you wonder what costs there will be, or what, who knows. But I, I was attracted because I pictured that young man, and he, hears, he gets the letter from Paul. Paul was there. Maybe, maybe Paul led him to Christ, but, but Paul sent a letter back. To, to the precious church he started in Ephesus. And it starts out with grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. And I think he heard that. I think he heard what we're supposed to hear there. You know, oh, nowhere but in Ephesians is there the expression in the heavenlies. It's the only place it happens in the Bible. And I think Paul especially knew that his, this young man or any of the people of Ephesus who were Christians, they needed encouragement. Because they needed to know that although they, had, they lived in a town where a god had fallen from heaven, they were seated there. And the implication couldn't have been lost on that young man or anybody in that church that Paul was saying and Paul was greeting and Paul was loving them with a gospel that said they were more powerful than that god that ran the whole city. I think, I, I think this kind of message, that it, being in the heavenlies, that must, have been, that must have been charged him with joy. So I want to consider this. and I, I want to reconsider in the heavenlies language today. You've heard me speak on this before because we've been in Ephesians, but you know, you've had the same experience, haven't you, where you come, you, you, somebody, else, somebody was teaching on this text, Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of my favorite preachers, and he was he was teaching on this text, and he was talking about, wait a second, you know, we need to think about heaven as a place we go to, and not, you know, when we die. <laughs> we go to in, during the day, and we go to in places where we need help. And we, that it, it's, a place, it's, a, it's a place for us to live. It's a place for us to inhabit, claim. And, and when I heard that, I wanted to talk about it again, because, um, you know... <laughs> Yeah, when I've talked about the heavenlies before, I don't think I understood that. I don't think I had any concept that they had a relevance now. Like they, were, they had a nowness to them. Or, or something, some access that I could have here. Like that's vital. That seems something different to me. A different way to think about heaven. So what I want to do is I want to take this eternal verities, uh, this eternal uh, realities, this heavenly realities, sorry, eternal verities, heavenlies, the heavenlies, this heavenly place, Remember later it says we're seated there. I want to take this in the heavenlies, and I want, to, I want to kind of look at it from different angles. And first I want to say, okay, we need to look at the doctrinal, the theological angle. We can, we can look at that part of what the statement means. Amen, we're going to do that. But we, that's not enough for me. Because when I know when I'm faced with depression, theology's not working. I, I'm more existential at that point, right? I'm more like, ah, where's the meaning in this suffering? Where's the meaning in this pain? Is there me? Can I find it? Is, there, is it possible? Where do I go? How do I, how do I find a hidey hole, a place to hide when I'm so afraid? Okay, that's an existential angle. And I think it's an important angle for this truth. Now there's a third angle I want to look at, and that's a functional angle. All right, so having given that it has a doctrinal and a theological power, given that it can answer my deep existential crisis about my existence, can it be useful? Day to day. Can it actually help me be holy? Can I use it? What do I learn from it? And I think the text will open it all up to us. 
So let's begin by looking at the in the, in the, in the heavenlies as a doctrinal and a systematic theological claim. And this is what, you know, this is the place that I live. I love this place because I love to be in the place where we're talking about the things we know for sure. And you know, this, this part of the teaching, it's, it's all very, it's almost mechanical, it's ideological, it all makes sense and fits together. And it's a theological proposition. You have been seated in heavenly places. And, and how is that possible? How is that even possible theologically to entertain such a notion? Or entertain that maybe even as you're seated right now, you're also seated in the eternal place. How is this even a, re, a truth that we can approach as Christians? What happens through that little expression? Look, look at it in your, in your text. It's in verse 3. And it talks about the blessings. And then it uses, you've heard me talk about these glorious prepositions. It uses that preposition in Christ. In Christ. And then this preposition starts popping with meaning, as we've seen before, because it, it desires to locate us eternally, locate us spiritually, locate us in Him. You know, it's funny. The union is much more dramatic than you think. It's much more real. And it happens just by faith, by trusting in Jesus uh, as a Savior for you of your sin, from your sin. You don't know, you have to understand that to give your life to him. But let me tell you about union. Union. What is union saying? Corey. He's hanging on the cross. Corey's there. He dies. He dies on that cross. Caleb's there. Caleb's with him. Caleb trusts him. Gina, he's in the tomb. You were there. Do you know when he rose from the tomb, my brother Luke was there. Do you know when he ascended into heaven? When he ascended on high? Spencer was there. Union with Christ. It is the, it is the secret about what we believe. And I, I invite you to put your faith in Christ while I'm talking. Just say, Jesus, I trust you. And you are united all of that. This is, the, this is the basic ideological, theological principle that says, now you continue to be with him all the time. And where is Jesus right now? Where is he standing? At the right hand of God the Father Almighty. What's he doing there, by the way? What's he doing? What's he doing? He's interceding for Caleb. He's interceding for Spencer. He's praying for, pray, praying for Corey. Praise him. Ah! Oh! By the way, what, is that, what does that mean? Everybody who's in Jesus is praying for Caleb. Praying for, we're going to get to that in a second. It gets, it gets beautiful. And what I'm describing here, of course, this happened, it's what we call the transitive property. You told me about that. Yeah, I remember telling you about this before. But if Jesus is, if I'm in Jesus and Jesus is in heaven, I'm in heaven. It's like nesting dolls almost, right? I'm in Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. Therefore, I'm in heaven. This is the rock-solid bottom of Paul's thinking. Because we are united with the God-man in a way that will rescue us from everything we are, captured up everything he is, we are in heaven as I am speaking. <sighs> and this, I mean, look at it, look around. It's kind of mysterious because it don't feel like heaven. <laughs> it don't look like it. It doesn't smell like it. Well, what are we supposed to do with this? <laughs> well, initially, as, a, as an idea, as theology, let's just walk right into the text. Let's, let's affirm what it affirms for us. 
Because I see in this idea of being in the heavenlies in Jesus. And remember, we're seated there as well. Well, what's the idea here? You've been welcomed. You're all welcome. You know, heaven, come on, come on in. You're welcome. We've been, we're honored. You know, when somebody puts out a seat for you, in the ancient world especially, when you were offered a seat, you were given honor. When Jesus went to teach in Matthew 5, he gets up on the mountain and he sits down. <laughs> Sitting meant you were the important person. Welcomed, honored, blessed. How many times is blessing mentioned in the text? He is blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Just in case you missed the point. <laughs> blessing upon blessing. How is this even possible? How is all this could happen? Well, what kind of blessings are they? What's the word, what's the modifier for the word blessing in our little Bible text? What kinds of blessings are they? They're spiritual. They are brought in and through and of and by the Holy Spirit. He makes possible that your trust in Jesus could connect you to Jesus all the way to right now in heaven. Praise him. Loved, welcomed, honored, Loved, secured. That's the theological principles that are put in place here. That's where we get the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. That's where we get our hope and our possibility. And I, I want to begin here because this, this is where, you know, we have one more, I have one more grammatical thing to mention. All this is in the plural, by the way. It's us. It's all of us together. All of us together. And I get depression. I, if I want, when I think about the idea of welcomed, honored, blessed, and loved, secured. If we're in heaven, and there's some part of us that's in heaven as we're going to continue to look at, then that part of us is here. It should feel like heaven. And that's why I said people who come here should feel honored, blessed, secured, and loved. By us! They should have recognized, even if they can't recognize what heaven is, they should smell it, right? They think, oh, there's something, there's something that smells like life here, like I've never smelled before. Praise him. So this initial, the initial observation, right? In the heavenlies, it really stakes out all this union with God in Christ. And what does it promise us? But the possibility that, yeah, that all these things are are constantly true about us all the time. Now, the possibility that we could be these things and a taste of heaven for others. You know, the doctrinal, the theological, the ideological, all the, I love, that's my play, I like to be in my brain, you know? But what about, there's something about this text, there's something about that idea of being in the heavenlies or, or seated in the heavenlies that has an existential curve or an existential bite for me. It, it's just something about it because, because I... And I think it answers some of that, and I'll explain why. But I, because I want answers that, you know, sometimes theology, and you can say all those theological words to me, but when I'm in that, that dark house, I can't hear it. Because like, the only thing I can think of is what's going to take away this pain or this fear or this anxiety or this fret or this, you know, this desire. Ah, what's going what's to solve for my fears? Ah, you know, you see, yeah. That's a much different question than a doctrinal question, isn't it? Much different than a theological question. You know, I thought of two things in the Bible that anticipate the heavenlies. Two things mentioned in the Bible that I think describe what it means that we're in the heavenlies. It's kind of way describing how we use it. 
when we are challenged in our hearts this way. The first one is this. Do you remember when Jesus in Revelation 2, he says, I'm going to give each one of you a white stone. This is really weird. Jesus is weird. We should embrace that. San Francisco likes weird. We should talk about how weird Jesus is all the time. Because it, it's attractive. It's attractive to this culture, right? But, but he gives us a white stone with our name upon it. Secret identity. Nobody else knows the name. And then I thought about another passage in Psalm 32 where David says to God, you're my hiding place. You're my hidey hole. You're the place I run to to hide. I think David was thinking, he couldn't, he must have been thinking, he loved the Bible. He must have been thinking about when Moses was hidden in that cleft of that rock as God goes by. Hide me, hide me. And something about those two things, having a secret identity or, or having a place to hide, something about the in the heavenlies, it, it touches those things. It touches them. You know, I, 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 I'm going to give you a show warning first. The secret identity. I, I'm going to want you to claim your secret identity in Jesus, but there is in this generation the possibility of having a secret identity anytime you want one. In the modern age of technology, having a secret identity at Gmail is so easy, it's, it's ridiculous. You can easily pose to be somebody you are not. And this is happening a lot. This is where you get the word catfishing from, like all the weird things that happen. Um, let me be really blunt about this. We're a big enough room. One of us probably is doing something like this. Having a secret identity online is, 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 is evil. It's, it's wrong. It's sinful. You shouldn't do it. And you should run away from that kind of nonsense. We are, we're supposed to be people of truth, right? <laughs> not, 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 not feeding. And I know I have a fake dummy ID for certain things I log into. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about acting like somebody online that you're not because of the anonymity that's been provided. That is no place in the heart of the people of God and in their lives. But what does have a place? Oh, I got it. I'm getting a stone. I'm getting, the, I'm getting a little piece of rock. It's white. And I'm praying, I'm hoping it will not be Christopher Robbins again. That my new name will be something glorious, like Gilgalad. Oh, anyway, that, that's an inside joke for some of you. Uh, but, you know, I, I, uh, and, and I, I, this idea that, well, this idea of a secret identity in the heavenlies is telling me I, I can have an identity that nobody else can touch. There's a part of me, there's a part of me you can't ever get to. There's a part of me you can't ever find. There's a part of me you can't ever see. And I don't know about you, but when I'm really scared, I, when I'm afraid of the world and I'm in pain, that just comforts me. I even have, get this, you know how superheroes have a secret identity? Let's in a sense we're all superheroes. We live in heaven, y'all. We are superheroes in one sense. In Christ, we're more than conquerors, right? But every, every superhero has a secret identity. And get this, it's even, it's even cooler than that. Um, we get a secret layer. Heaven! You and I have a secret layer. How cool is that? A place to hide in a place where we are known and our identity is forever placed and secure. Oh, this is what I need when the darkness comes in. This is the hope in the darkness. That hiding hole. I, I, I don't know about you. I was in preparation for this message. The hiding place comes up into my head, right? And so I start singing, You are my hiding place. You guys know this song? It's like 1970s Christian music. That's why we don't sing it anymore. It's a terrible song. But, but, 
In many dark hours, Jesus has heard it from me. I love it. <laughs> I kept, it was I was singing it last night, wasn't I? Was, yeah, and I, and I just, I'll sing it over and over again when I'm scared. You are my hiding place. Do you remember that excitement about looking for the hiding place, the best hiding place in the house? Or, or have you ever done this? Have you ever figured out where the best hiding place is and then waited for a game of hide-and-seek as a kid so you could go there and make sure nobody could find you? Of course, winning the game of hide-and-seek is never that satisfying because nobody finds you. It gets boring. <laughs> and eventually, you come out, and, and you have to tell everybody where you're hiding, of course. And once you do that, you can never go back to that spot. But you can usually find one of the other kids there. Hiding place. My point is, is we as kids had a thing about hiding places, and we loved them. And I think that's something deep in us, a place of refuge. And when God says, you are in the heavenlies, that is what he's giving you. And it's a refuge any moment you want it, any time, any place. There's a place for you to find your place before our, God, our Father's presence. Isn't that wonderful? And the idea that there's an answer to, my, to the raw, naked fear that sentence to, tends to get to me, or there's, there's feelings of hopelessness, or pain, or meaninglessness, or insignificance, and ah, or somebody's going to talk bad about me, I want to run. No, no, no. I've got a hiding place. So do you. I, there's something about this teaching that really speaks to my heart. I wrote this. Let's give up the evil dangers of a secret life and walk in the secret power of a hidden life. Amen? We need to walk in the secret power of a hidden life. Oh, my God, I love that. I think in the heavenlies, in, in Colossians, uh, Paul actually uses the word hidden a number of times. Or we're hidden. I think that's his, that's the, this is the equivalence in this. In the heavenlies. It's where no one can get you. Hidden away. All right. So I talked about the, 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 the beautiful image of, of, of our position and standing and union with Christ that is implied that we are working and laboring with him in his ascension ministry. Now, as we, as we uh, and not, not just that, this, uh, this is a kind of objective thing. And then there's this existential angle where it's very subjective. Like, I, like when I'm in crisis and afraid or alone or feeling lonely or threatened, I've been given a secret identity and a secret place to run. I'm hoping for more functionality even than that. I'm hoping for more, more usefulness for these ideas. Can we make this functional? And I think that we can. Let's, let's do this. Let's just, we're going to look at this text. And I was kind of surprised. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll be pulling at a text, like a pinata, and, and like one little thing will come out. Like, oh, darn it. And sometimes I'll be pulling at a text, and the whole thing blows open. And that's what happened to this one. That's what happened with this one. All right, I want you to, to, want you to, to, to first to that in Christ, that word in Christ, you remember how I said you're united with Christ? You're united in his death, you're united in his burial, you're united in his ascension. All, all the, most of that is very passive. You trust Christ, and he took you up in it. Like, Corey, when you died with Christ, you didn't do anything, right? You were just there. You're just there in him. And, and when, you're, when you're raised with Christ, you're just there with him. When he ascends, you're just there with him. It's very passive. You receive it. You don't have anything to do with the ascension. You didn't jump to get, the, get, the, get him started up in the heaven, did you? No. 
That's just silly. But this ascension ministry he has now? Wait a second. That's, you and I are participating. Now, we, remember, the text is going to go on to talk about works prepared beforehand. What does that mean? We're participating with the divine work. We are in him. And that work, there's, it's a partnership now. And now the God-man is walking around in people like Corey, and he's animating people like Sarah, and he's, and he's living in people like, like Joyce, and they are doing things because he's there. And then when they do that, what are they participating in? His ascension ministry. I love the idea that what we're doing here is a part of the ascension ministry of our Savior. And as he's actively praying, as he's actually, I, I even think about how the call to prayer and all this, you know, I love this idea of participating in the ascension ministry. Every time we pray, aren't we joining him? Isn't he already praying? And sometimes I don't know what to pray. So you know what I do? I cheat. I cheat in prayer. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? But I cheat in prayer. I lean in and think. I lean in and I go, try to hear what Jesus is saying. You can read John, you can read John 17 if you want to fill it in. Because we actually know what Jesus actually prays. <laughs> but I try to lean in and hear what he's praying. And I say to the Father, whatever he's praying. That's what I'm praying. Participate in the ministry of Christ. I, that just begins there. I, that's so exciting to me. That's so kind of weirdly wonderful, isn't it? And yet, and yet it gives us fuel. It gives us energy. It gives us the possibility. Um, <laughs> you know, even, it's funny. It, we, we do this all the time. Uh, um, remember we say in the, in the liturgy? What do we say in the liturgy? Lift, uh, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to God. What are we doing when we say that? We're claiming ascension ministry. We're claiming our heavenly place. You know, when we eat, when we eat the bread and wine, it was common. The, and it's not, it's not improper in a very important sense. God coming down. And that's very, that's originally, in the, in, especially in, the, in like the Roman Catholic Mass, that's, your, God is coming down. That's why you exalt the host, because God's going to come down into them and inhabit them. You have to be careful. My mom was always very afraid to bite the bread. Because you might bite Jesus. And that was real. She was really afraid of it. And the nuns warned her. She was afraid. But we don't believe that. We're not worried like that. We, have, we know this is a living truth. But this, you know what, what else happens? This is what Calvin said. When we come to this table, God takes us up into heaven. You know, that's why we celebrate this every week. Darn it, I want to spend as much time in heaven before I have to go there as I can. Praise him. It, 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 it's, it's, it's wound into the warp and woof of who we are and what we do. <laughs> we are participants with the exalted ascension ministry of our holy Savior. Praise him. Praise him. How can you sit still? How can any of us sit still? Why wasn't praise want to bounce out of us all the time? I don't understand it. But that's what that in Christ says, and that's what it means. But it gets better. Look at, the, look at verse 2 and verse 3. I love this part. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. What is it like to live in the heavenlies? To actually live in that place? Well, Paul's living there. That's why Paul's talking about it. That's why he's so excited. That's why it's a byword for him. And a way of him describing his own experience. But what does he, what does he say in verse 2? Grace and peace to you. Very horizontal. Grace and peace to you. And then what does he follow with in verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice how he moved in one breath from blessing his friends to praising God? You notice that he, 
And, and what I had, in, I thought in his mind, is what Paul's acting out there, what he's living in. He's got one foot here and one foot in heaven. And the horizontal and the vertical work in him. And by the way, that union of loving others and praising God, that's, that's, that's the fullest expression of who we are as believers. And that can only happen if we're in the heavenlies. I think that's a part of the idea, that's being in the heavenlies. Being, seeking his presence. For where he is, that's heaven. We have dual citizenship. That's what, he, that's, what, that's, what, that's what Paul's living in. And I have this idea, this desire that we would move in between. I saw John Brackett doing this recently and really living it out. We're just talking to God spontaneously while we're talking to each other and talking about... Oh, I love that. I want that everywhere in my life. I want it everywhere. Because either heaven is right here or it's not, right? Either that's a real, that's real, this is real possible. We can have these things or we can't. And if we can, then let's get all over them. I love the idea, too. You can only be, you can only bless people with grace and peace if you're already blessing God. But that being so, my next thing, the next, the, next, the next thing I learned right here, grace and peace? What is that about? All right, Paul got the gate. He is acting like he can bestow things. You know what, the, you know what he was, he, he's saying, I was seated in heaven. He's saying, you're seated in heaven. You know what, the, what his invitation is? You get to walk in this building like a boss. You do. You get to walk around like a boss and say, grace and peace, Spencer. Let's see who else can I hit with some grace and peace today. That's a wonderful way to live. That's a living way to live, isn't it? Because in that is all the, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's living in the power, right? And that's really what we're being invited to in the heavenlies. And so that heavenly power is a part of our constant life. And you know, you know who I see? I see this in Corey. Before I'm with Corey, I receive grace and peace. You know, it's like those fountains of living water we were talking about before, where we're going up to each other, being filled by what's flowing out. And it's the same thing. But we get to go even deeper and pronounce it over people. I just think that's super cool. You get to walk around this building like a boss because you're in the heavenlies, too. You were seated there. You know what being seated means? You're the king. Only kings sit. Everybody else stands. And the ancient world. Modern world's different. I don't know what's different. It keeps getting better. What he, keeps on, what he goes on to say, there's a purpose to all these spiritual blessings. What was it? That you would be holy and blameless before him. <sighs> um, don't you wish there was something that would just make sin bitter the minute you thought about it? I was looking at, um, I was looking at the batteries. I got these little circular batteries for, uh, you know, the little flat batteries. And on the front, it had a little picture of a crying baby in the corner, like, like, a, little, like a little crying baby face. And then it's, and it said around that little baby face, bitter, 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 uh, some sort of bitter thing was on the magnet to keep babies from eating it. Pretty clever, huh? Pretty clever. Don't you wish God had made the world that way? Like every time you went to go anywhere near a sin or a sinful thought or something in your heart or something that was unholy, it was immediately, you couldn't stand it. Like you're, ugh, 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 I don't want, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> look, 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 many of us, many of us would, yeah, benefit deeply from such a thing. I think being in the presence of God in the heavenlies, I know, it does it to me. 
there's something you, you can't really, you can't really hold resentment about what somebody said to you at church and, and really be in a place praising God in his presence. They just don't. <laughs> and, I, and what I found to my, to my joy sometimes, to my surprise actually, <laughs> you know, that Jesus was really taking away the love of sinning by, by my experience of his glory. That's wonderful, isn't it? There's this idea that there's something transformative happening when we focus on this citizenship, this place we have there, and how real it is, and that we are seated there in some spiritual and and mysterious and wonderful and inviting and life-giving way. I think this is wonderful. All right, what kind of... Every spiritual blessing. There's the word every. What's the other joy about us being in the heavenlies together? There's every one of us has this possibility. Everyone... You, maybe you think I get to go to, into heaven because I'm special, because I'm, I'm super spiritual. Well, I'm glad for the compliment. This just isn't true. This just isn't true. What's the every mean? Your kids can do it. <laughs> it's crazy, but it's how real the invitation. It doesn't matter. You're a brand new Christian. You can walk right up to the throne of holiness and say, hey, could you help me out? <laughs> That's nuts. Every. Every. And by the way, this goes further than that. A lot of us in the church say, I don't want to do that work, or I don't want to do evangelism, or I, I don't want to do that because I don't like talking to people. I'm afraid. It's not my personality. I'm shy. Yeah, I know we have all those things, but remember, where the Spirit comes, your weaknesses become showcases for God's strength. And in the heavenlies, even the weakest, most feeble, most, most, most anemic, most most unable to praise Christian, talking about me, is able to, is able to what? Is able to go there. I get to go there. And none of you can stop me. <laughs> I praise him. And then finally, finally I want to say that I want to talk about this place. You know, because I've been answering the question, what does this entering the heavenlies do for us well it makes our work transcendent we are part of the ascension ministry of christ it invites us into a spirit-filled version of mindfulness why we have dual citizenship now moving seamlessly between heaven and earth it invites us into the real spiritual power of being enthroned on high it provides a new holiness a new possibility of holiness by by supercharging us i think with the presence of the spirit and grace and, in, and what do we find finally? It equips every person for ministry for things they never thought they could do. God does not call the qualified to do ministry. No, 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 no. He qualifies those he calls. Praise him. But the final thing, let me end with this. Was this text being, being there? All right, I, I, uh, let me get a Bible out here. The... Uh, I'm turning to Hebrews 12 if you want to go there, but I'm going to, I'm going to read it in a second, but a little part of it. Um, when I was in seminary, when I was in seminary about 33 years ago, 30, grad school, 30, 30, 30 years ago. Anyway, one of my favorite elders at, at Providence Reformed Presbyterian Church where I was doing my internship uh, was Paul Yeagy. He's long since died, but he was such a wonderful friend and, and inspiration. He was very fat. 
And he led with that. He always said, I'm the fat elder. It was the way he introduced himself to people. <laughs> He's a nutty guy. Fun to be around. But he was, he was a king of dad jokes. I mean, just every time you got a dad joke. And of course, his, his most favorite one with, with young students at the, local, at the local school getting their Masters of Divinity was, hey, how are things at the cemetery? I mean, seminary. I'm like, oh, gosh. You know, and I, you know, we won't mention anybody in our present fellowship who has a similar disability. But dad jokes all the time. The reason Paul was so dear to my heart, though, was he loved to pray. Loved to pray. He asked me a question. Now, you know, being the, being the answer man kind of person at the time, I probably still have some of that, but I, 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 uh, I could, I, 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 it's shameful. Those of you who don't know me, it's very shameful, but I was deeply conceited when I was young. And I probably still am, who knows, but it's terrible. I was just an arrogant putz. So he asked me, Chris, is it okay if I use the description of Revelation 1 where John sees Jesus? Can I use that in my prayer life? Can I use that to go and pray? Can I, can I imagine that? Can I, can I read it and then go and pray and imagine I'm there? Like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think you can do that. You know, it's too dangerous that you're going, to, you're going to wind up in idolatry. You're going to wind up worshiping. Let's say you're going to go to God and it's throne, you're going to worship the throne. You're going to supposed to be God with all of his angels, you're going to worship the angels. You know, like we're always so easily idolaters, right? We can, we, can, we, can, we, can, we can be idolaters with anything. I don't think that was a good answer. Because why in the world, why in the world would our Father repeatedly send men Picture, describe to us pictures of his glory if we were supposed to go never, ever think about it. It's very Presbyterian, the way I was actually answering. And Lizzie, you probably recognize it. Very, you know, no images, no images, no images. Not even in your mind. I was wrong. I'm sure I was dead wrong. I was dead wrong because of what happens in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians, in, in Hebrews 12. Why did I look it up and then close my Bible? Why do I do things like that? All right, you guys are all very familiar with how airheaded I am. You have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire, darkness, gloom, tempest, the sound of thunder, trumpet, and a voice whose way the hears beg that they will not hear it anymore. No, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, this isn't, this isn't real. He's saying they've done it now. He's not talking about in the future. He's telling them now. This is what they're doing right there. Then. <laughs> this, is what, this is where we are right now. This is happening right as we're talking. Angels are bending down and wondering if I'm going to say something stupid, just like you are. You know, it's kind of fun that way. But it's real. It's contiguous. It's with us. It goes on to describe it. Uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. They're having a party, y'all. So imagine a bunch of angels are partying around us. In the assembly of the firstborn, that's Jesus, and held around him, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of a... Oh. But that's not the visual one. Does anybody remember what color the, uh, the pavement is in heaven? 
It's, this, it's, this, it's like this in Exodus 24 when the elders go there. Ezekiel sees it. I, I'm not sure if John sees it or not. Does anybody remember what the, what the pavement of heaven is like? Clear as crystal. Sapphire. Sapphire. Sapphire flooring. Sometimes it'll be described as crystal. Maybe other places. So, okay, what else? What else? The throne. The throne's fiery. The throne's always fire. There's always something incandescent around him. I read this thing. It's an interesting thing. Do you know that if you put your eyeball right next to an atomic bomb when it went off, if you were to look at an atomic bomb as it went off, one inch from your eyeball, you imagine how bright that would be. You'd be dead too. If our sun was the supernova, it would be a billion times brighter. And I'm pretty sure neither one of those has anything on how incandescent our Father is. I just love it. That's what, you can never quite see him. Nobody can ever quite see the Father. Well, it's always one like or something, and then they see Jesus. There's sapphire, sometimes there's rainbows, sometimes there's jasper. So all these images of beautiful, precious metals, and, and, this, and I always see the pavement. So I think that these were written to train our faith to use its imagination. So this is... Now, I think I may have shared it with some of you before. So, this is, this is, how, you, this is how you would catch me. I'm ashamed. Right, come back. Um, so, this is how you would catch me praying. Um, I'm on my knees. Now, this is what I do. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, right? So, the Father's sitting here, and Jesus is at his right hand right here. So, whenever I'm kneeling before the Father, I always know Jesus is right there. And, and that's kind of important in my head because... There's a geography to this place, right? There's furniture. There's, there's things to move around and people there. There's angels all over the place. I don't usually think about what they're doing or thinking, but I know they could probably hear me, and I don't know if they're curious or not. But I always had this weird image. This is, what, this is the weirdest one, I think. And maybe it's just an overactive imagination of a kid who, you know, raised by crazy people or something. But when I was down, when I'm down on my knees, I had this picture, and this is, I don't know how to describe it, that if I move my head too, too quickly to the left, I'm going to bump the footstool of the throne of my father. I'm allowed to do that because that's where I am. <laughs> you, want to come, you want to come join me? Anybody want to come join me in this place? Does anybody want to know what happens when the people of God come together to pray? Does anybody want to do that anymore? I don't want to. And why don't you come and talk to me and let your conscience burn if you don't? Because I want to walk in heaven with you. I don't walk in there today. I want to wait. I want to walk with him now. And I want you there with me. Because together, <laughs> remember the us that's here, together, I see, together, I think we blow this whole thing open. But you know what? I, 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 for, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for each one of you. And if you don't want to join me, that's okay. Because that's my job, I guess. And I wish you would more deeply and fully. <sighs> yeah. I didn't mean for that to be a guilt thing. <laughs> I'm going to be excited about it. And, and, and what's possible now. All right, let's pray. Here we are, Father. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. Many of us who don't really know it, we don't really think that way. We, we don't think the minute we, we address you that we have just, we just, our seat in heaven is right there. 
And, uh, and so we often go on about all sorts of things and without ever, oh my goodness, realizing that everything has been opened. Heaven has been opened. Nothing will be kept from the children of God when they ask their father. I, I just, Father, I, 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 I ask for faith. I ask that you would continue to create in me faith and create in my friends and the people, these people that I love and everybody in this room, create in us faith. That faith that just reaches out to grab Jesus and to be united with him. And then every, everything, I mean everything, eternal life, eternity itself flows out of that. I thank you that you revealed yourself to me. And thank you for the way you revealed yourself to so many of us. Would you do more revealing? More revealing, Father, in such a way that causes us to run to you like a hidey hole, to claim you for our secret identity, to, to walk in the position that is so secure, and to do all these many things that Paul's doing right here in this wonderful piece of Scripture, to have all these things in us. We thank and praise you for your grace. We thank you that this is all something you did for sinners. You're awesome, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.